I'm glad you're here. And I, I can imagine somebody thinking, this is different. It's supposed to be. This isn't a concert. This isn't a movie. This isn't a sporting event where when people act crazy like this, you don't think anything about it. But it's weird when you come to church, right? Why? Because you've been trained to be dignified. And that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not what church is supposed to be about. We see the church all throughout Scripture. We see it in Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob laid his head on a rock at a place called Bethel, the house of God. He laid his head on a rock and he had a dream and he had a vision where God set a ladder that touched earth and the top of it touched heaven. And he said he saw the angels of God ascending and descending. That's what the church is. It's a place where the presence of God is ascending and descending. It's not normal. This ain't some country club. This ain't some uh, theme park. This ain't some movie theater. This ain't some social club. This is the house of God where the people of God gather together. Everywhere where the people of God meet. If, if it's in a church building, if it's in a movie theater, if it's in a cave, if it's in the middle of the woods and the people of God are meeting, it's supposed to be different. Amen? It's not supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be different. He woke up out of that dream and he said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And this is the house of God. Amen. And he said, this, this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. That's what the church is supposed to be. Amen. James, the, the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, James, in the book of Acts, he's preaching a message. And he, he goes back and refers to the, the prophet Amos. And Amos declared this in prophetic utterance. He said that God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David that had fallen. He was going to rebuild the tabernacle of David that had fallen. And he's talking about the church, the assembly of God's people, God's family being built and he said, it will be like the tabernacle of David that was fallen. You know what happened in the tabernacle of David? The things that we think were weird. People stretching forth their hands to God in the assembly. People lifting up their voice and shouting and proclaiming the goodness of God, the testimonies of God, the name of the Lord. That's what happened. It was a house of prayer. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And we show up at church and we get embarrassed because people are actually praying and praising and worshiping. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Trying to dignify it. This is what church is supposed to be about. This is what it's supposed to be about. This, this is the environment where I walked in, bound, and walked out free. Amen? And I ain't ashamed of it. Praise God. Why don't you get up, stand up, find somebody, and give them a big bear hug, a high five, a handshake. If you're social distancing, you can fist bump. I know we got stuff going around. But welcome somebody to the house of the Lord. I'm glad you're here this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Praise God. Today is a special, a very special day. Sister Edwina Babb is right here. Sister Edwina, wave your hand so everybody can see who you are. This precious lady right here has a birthday today. Happy birthday and God bless you. Amen. We love you. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I, I want to invite everybody. Listen, this, this coming Saturday, we're having an event here. And I want everybody that can possibly be here to be here on Saturday. I think we're getting started at 9.30. We, we already made our announcements, but I just want to reemphasize this. Everybody if that can get here Saturday, it's going to kind of be an all-day event. We're going to go from about 9.30 to about 4.30, 5 o'clock maybe. We'll have uh, continental-style breakfast for you. We'll have lunch, and so we'll, we'll take care of you. But I would love everybody being here. We're going to walk through some principles that are biblical principles for us that we need as a church. They're going to help us as we go forward to grow in love. Everybody say love. love. We're going to talk about love today. We, I want our church to grow in love, and these are biblical principles that are going to help us to do that, to see unity in the house of God, and to see the purpose of God at return going forward. And we're going to talk about our, our vision a little bit. We're going to talk about who we are, what distinctly makes return church, return church. And so I'm looking forward to that. Everybody say Saturday, Saturday. 9.30. 9.30. And go online and register. Let us know you're going to be there so we have plenty of food for you and uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I want our ushers to come. I know we've already sat down twice. Let's stand up one more time. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your provision. I thank you for your hand upon us. Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that we are free. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God and you are so good to us. Father, we bring tithes, offerings to your house today to honor you, to bless you, to see your kingdom built and established throughout all the earth, to see your covenant established. We thank you for it, and we give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. God, if you grab your Bible, one, one short verse today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to talk about family today. We're glad that everybody is here today. We're honored to have all of our guests. Thank you for coming and being a part of our day. We're going to have a, a good time of fellowship afterwards. We got a meal. We're going to hang out and have some fellowship. We got the cornhole boards ready to break out. We'll have a good time after church. Plan to stick around a little while, but uh, we're honored that you're here. But the church is a family. God has called us to be a family. We're a part of the household of faith. That's what the church is called, the household of faith. And that, that really is, is all believers everywhere. Everybody who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ is a part of the family of God. And then that's the local church. God wants his church to be a family. And I want to talk about what are three essential ingredients for us to have have healthy family life as a church, as a family, you name it. We need these three ingredients. One short verse, and I told the team before church, a short verse means a short sermon. Everybody say amen. Amen. Come on, if y'all want a short sermon, say amen. If you're ready to eat lunch, say amen. It's going to be a short power-packed message here. 
All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three, three essential ingredients right there for family. Love, grace, and fellowship. We need grace, we need love, and we need fellowship. We're going to talk about it here for just a minute. Grace, love, fellowship. It starts with grace. Grace is the entry point, right? It's the grace, and, and it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you are thankful for what Jesus did for us? How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? How many of you are thank you, thankful that he died on a cross for our sins so that we don't have to die and be separated from God? How many of you are thankful that he's made a way for us to have a relationship with God? Amen? I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace is the favor and the kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord. That's how we're going to define it. It is the favor and the loving kindness of the Lord. That's grace. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that we are saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is the entry point. It is the loving kindness of God towards us. It is the favor of God towards us. And that's the only way that any of us in this room are saved. How many of you are saved this morning? Amen. And you know you're saved by what? Grace, through faith, right? And out of works, least any man should boast. We are saved by God's grace. Period. Full stop. That's where we are. That's the end of the story. We're saved by God's grace. And because of grace, we have access. None of us are worthy to have a relationship with God. In reality, none of us are worthy. How many of you realize you need grace? I don't know about you, but I was a rascal. In fact, I think I'm looking at a bunch of rascals. We're all a bunch of rascals. I need God's grace. See, I grew up in church, but I fought God. Be honest with you, I was an enemy of God. I didn't like God for a long, long time. My, I remember going to church as a teenager. When I finally got my driver's license, I was able to drive to church. So I drove my little Ford Ranger pickup truck and parked it in the parking lot, and I went into the church. And our church was, uh, it, it was always a growing church. My entire life, our church was growing. I grew up in this church that just grew. It's uh, you know, about eight, eight, eight or 10,000 members today. It's a large, large church. But that church was always growing. And we had a sanctuary that would seat about 800 people. And we got to the place where that was jam-packed. And so we opened up a fellowship hall that was attached. We tore a wall out and put an accordion door so we could open it up. And we had cameras so everybody could sit out there and see on a big screen TV and kind of peek through the openings in the wall, almost like they were a part of the regular church service. And then we outgrew that, and so we went over to the other side of the building where there was a gymnasium, and we tore all the walls out and opened that up. And Dwayne Lowe would actually remember this. He, he was a part of that church at one point when we were in Bible college. But the gym and the fellowship hall, both were full. And then it got to the point where they had to have multiple services. And so it was easy, because my mama didn't make me sit with her, it was easy to hide from mama. 
And so I remember I would go sit in the gymnasium, and then about halfway through church, I would sneak out to my truck, and I would drive off, and I would go find my friends and get into all kinds of trouble. How many of y'all got in trouble? Right? I was a rascal. You're a rascal. I'm a rascal. You're a rascal too, right? We're all rascals. We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. Every one of us needs the grace of God. How many of you realize in the context of family, you need grace? How many of your mama or your daddy or your brother or your sister or your uncle or your aunt or your cousins have made you mad? How many of them have wronged you? How many of them do stupid stuff? Anybody? Am I the only one with family members that do stupid stuff? All right. Your kids do stuff that, that is offensive, that's hurtful, that's harmful, whatever, right? We need grace, right? If we're going to have health in our family, we've got to have grace. As a church, we've got to be a people of grace. We've got to have grace because grace gives access, right? Jesus has given us access. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest which cannot sympathize with our weakness, our faults, our imperfections, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted the same ways that we were tempted, but he did it without sin. And let us, because of this, therefore come boldly, the Bible says, to the throne of what? Grace. For what purpose? That we may obtain grace in time of need. Right? See, Jesus, by his grace, allows us to come to the throne. Without God's grace, we couldn't approach the throne. Without God's grace, we couldn't receive what we need in our time of need. And let's go just a little bit deeper here with our definition. We define it as the favor and the loving kindness of God. Let me go a little bit deeper. It's actually God doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves. Right? So we've heard a lot of definitions of grace throughout history. I believe this is the best one. It's the acronym, G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. We, we, we often talk about the unmerited favor. And on our end, we can't earn the favor of God, but Jesus paid the price for us to be able to receive anything from God. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. And it's God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Grace is the ability of God. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's in verse 9. And, and he's talking about this thorn in his flesh. Y'all remember that passage? He asked the Lord to take it from him. What is the Lord's response to him? No. In verse 9, my grace is sufficient. What he's saying to Paul is that in your ability, in your strength, you, you, you're probably not going to be able to put up with this thing. But if you'll lean into my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And you'll be able to endure. It's God giving us strength. It's God's ability coming to us. It's the loving kindness and favor of God coming to us and lifting us up. And grace does not leave us the same way that it finds us. Amen. Every one of us need grace, but when we find grace, you know what it does? It actually has a transforming effect on our life. Yes, it, does. it does. Titus talks about grace in Titus chapter 2, I think it's in verse 11, and he says that the grace of God has appeared to all men. And he says it's teaching us. Everybody say teaching. God's grace teaches us. It leads us. It, it, it brings us further along in our journey. It matures us. It grows us. The grace of God is an instrument that God uses to raise us up and to perfect us and do his work in our, in our lives. The grace of God, he says, is teaching us that if we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, 
that we can live righteously, godly, and sober in this present world. Grace, grace is not a license to sin. It's actually an instructor. It's an empowerment. It's the ability of God coming to us to help us to rise above the life of sin, to help us rise above temptation, to help us rise above the world and its grasp on our lives. That's what God's grace has the power and the ability to do. But grace cannot operate without the love of God. This verse right here starts with grace. Right? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the center of this verse is the love of God. Because the love of God holds it all together. So, similarly to uh, 1 Corinthians where it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. Right, We have chapter 12 and chapter 14 that are these instructions about the gifts of the Spirit. And then right in the middle of that is an entire chapter, chapter 13, about love. Because love holds the operation of all God's gifts in the church together. Right? All, if we're, if we're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, we've got to do it by what? Love. Love holds it together. Love makes it work. And similarly, it, it, it's receiving God's grace. It, it operates by love. That's a reality. It operates by love. There's a lot of talk about love in our culture. How many of you have heard these sayings like love wins or love is love? And that's actually coming from people who are in opposition to God. They're using those, those phrases, really, honestly, to try to force perversion on us as a society. That's the reality of what they're doing. So I want to unfold that, explain that. But let's look at it this way. There are four types of love in the Bible. Actually, there's three in the Bible, but in the Greek language, let's, let's do it that way. In the Greek languages, there are, in the Greek language, there are four different words for this concept of love. You might be familiar with some of these. When we're talking about God, it's always this word agape. How many of you have heard of agape love? That, that love is a love that is only ever attributed to God in the scriptures, and when it's attributed to his people, it is a love that is emanating from him through them. If we ever operate in agape love, we have to understand it has its origin in God, and it flows through us to others around us. That's agape love, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's the agape love of God. So that's one, one type of love that we see in scripture. Uh, another type of love is Philadelphia. We're, we're familiar with the city of Philadelphia. That, that word, that term there actually means uh, the, the, the uh, city of love or the city of brotherly love. Right? You've heard, how many of you have heard Philadelphia called that? And that's what this word Philadelphia actually means. It means brotherly love. It's like the love that Jonathan and David had for one another. They, they, there was a willingness. They, they, they defended one another. They looked out for each other. They, they even at one time in their lives swapped armor, and it was a, a symbolic uh, transaction saying, hey, I've got your back and you've got my back. That's a picture of this Philadelphia type of love. It's a brotherly type love. Then the, the third word is, is storge. And this type of love is like a familial love. It's the love that you have for your spouse. It's the love that you have for your children. It's the love that you have for your mother and your father. It's a, a different type of love. This is storge love. And then the fourth kind, which is never, ever mentioned in Scripture, the, the fourth Greek word for love is eros. It's where we get our word erotic. Eros. 
And if you look at really what our culture, this message that those in our culture, as they're trying to force this perversion on, on, on our society, if you look at the message that they're declaring, when, they, when they're saying love is love, what they're literally saying is eros is love. And they're trying to force our society, our culture, and the church to accept that. But we have to take a look at what this, this word eros actually means. This is really inordinate infection, uh, affection. It's, 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 a, it's like sexual attraction. It's like uh, the erotic. It, it can also be towards objects, a greed for money. The love of money, eros, right? And that's literally what a, our culture all around us is trying to force on us, this idea that we have to accept eros as pure love. And it, it's, a, it, it's just a substitution for the pure love of God, the agape love of God. When we look at these four types of love, this, this idea of eros, the love of eros, it's an all take. I, I want your money, I want your sex, I want, it's a taking connotation that's associated with this type of love. I, I, I love money, I love cars, I love big houses, I love women. You know, it's this type of, of terminology. And it's all take. And when we look at Philadelphia or we, we look at storge type love, familiar, f- familial or, or, or friendly, relational, this love that we have for our friends, this love that we have for our family, in this type of love, it's, there's transaction. It's give and take, right? I'm going to mow the yard for you. You're going to pick my kids up for me when we're out of town. There's, there's give and take in this relationship. There's give and take in our marriage. There's give and take with our, with our children, with, with our parents, with, with our, uh, you, you name it, any kind of relationship where we're, we're, we're expressing love, demonstrating love towards, there's, there's give and take. There's mutual benefit in it. Now, when we talk about agape love, that type of love is all give. That type of love is all give. That's why it says, for God so loved the world that he what? gave his only begotten son. Listen, don't settle for what this culture is trying to sell for love. It is an empty substitute that will never satisfy. This Eros love leaves us empty every single time. It's demanding, it's greedy, it's lustful, and it never satisfies us. But when we receive the love of God, the agape love of God in our lives, we are satisfied and we are full. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, and I love this. This is one of the greatest relational passages in the scriptures. It says, let love, and that's agape, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, let the love of God Amongst the people of God, be sincere. And again, this this love always originates with God. It emanates from God, comes to us. And Romans 5.5 says the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. It comes to us, and then we we, uh, perpetuate that out to others. We express the love of God that we have experienced. And through the power of God's love, we impact others' lives. Right? So let love be without hypocrisy. This is agape love. Abhor what is evil, he says. Cling to what is good. And that, that word clings like, literally means like to glue, to laminate. Like, let, let's hold on to the good things. 
Let, let, let's attach ourselves to what is good. Abhor evil, cling to what is good. And then he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That's Philadelphia. But when he says, be kindly affectionate, that right there, it's actually, so storge on, on its own is not actually ever spoken in the scripture. The word storge, talking about familial love, but it's this philostorgos, and it is that. It is a familial type love, that we should be uh, kindly affection, that we should have this kind of family love one for another. Galatians says that we should be good to all people. As Christians, we should be good to all people but he says, especially those who are of the household of faith. Amen. As Christians, we ought to be especially kind to one another, right? It's, it's this demonstration. And, we, and listen, you have to be intentional about love. You need to be intentional about demonstrating love. In, in your marriage relationship, in the church house, we, we need to be intentional, intentional about expressing love for one another, yeah. Right? We need to do good to all people, but especially those who are of the household of faith. We, we need to be intentional in our relationships to demonstrate our love for each other. We need to be intentional about that. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving present, uh, pre preference to one another. We ought to prefer one another, Right? I like the way another translation says this. I think it's the ESV. It says that we should outdo one another in showing honor. We, we, we should be a kind of people that are outdoing one another in showing honor. Everything in God's kingdom, everything in God's kingdom, let me say it one more time, everything in God's kingdom operates by love. We need to understand, when, when, when there's a definition of who God is given in the scriptures, it simply says this, God is love. And it's the purest, all-giving, holy love that we can ever experience. I was a rascal, and I walked into an environment a lot like this. It was, it was radical and crazy. I was just, I recently uh, made a new friend. I was talking to him on the telephone, and he, he had a friend named Philip Baker. And Philip Baker was the man who was standing up in the chapel of that old country camp. And the, the night that I walked in, and I was 18 months trying to follow Jesus, 18 months, and falling back into alcohol over and over and over again. And Philip ba Baker took an altar call in a crazy, weird, radical Surely this is the house of God and this is the gate to heaven kind of worship experience like this. I walked in battling and Philip Baker made an altar pill that got me down to an altar and I encountered the living God. And I experienced what Romans 5, 5 talks about. It says this, this hope will not disappoint us. This hope will not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad. It is being poured out in our hearts, like a baptism of love. That's what it's talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I, I like the way that, that that verse starts. It says, this, this hope doesn't make us ashamed. You know, what, you know what the hope of Christianity is? It's the resurrection of Jesus. And with, without that hope, we have no hope. Paul said, if the resurrection of Jesus is not a reality, then, then we have nothing. Our faith is in vain. That's what the Apostle Paul said. 
If we don't have the hope of the resurrection, we have nothing. And Paul says there in Romans 5, 5, this hope does not make us ashamed. It will not disappoint us. The hope of the resurrection. I have hope in the resurrection for a lot of reasons. Because of what the scripture says about the resurrection. The testimony of scripture declaring the resurrection of Jesus. That gives me hope. There's also the historicity of it. We have all kinds of historical evidences. The, 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 uh, the writers of the times, all these types of things. History tells us and confirms that Jesus indeed resurrected. There's a lot of historical evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you what the greatest assurance of the resurrection that I have ever come to know or experience is it's the love of Jesus Christ. It is the love of God being shed abroad in my heart. I knelt down in that altar. I laid in that altar. I walked around that altar. I spent three hours in that altar. And during that time, it was like everything that I had done wrong, every sin, every violation against God, every, every act of treason, every act of rebellion that I had ever done in my life, replayed. And it was washed out by the love of God. This hope will not make us ashamed because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. If you have ever experienced this, and th this is not, I mean, we, we can study love, we can talk about love, we can define love, we can read scriptures about love, but there's something about experiencing. It's not just something to be studied. It's not something just, just uh, in our minds for us to process and reason. But when we experience the love of Jesus, it has a transforming effect. The love of Jesus, being baptized in his love, makes us born again. It changes us. It transforms us. It makes everything in our life new. Like I said that day, everything in my life, every, every, every sin, every fault, every violation, every wrongdoing in my life just washed away. And I felt pure peace and joy and satisfaction and contentment. Why? Because I encountered the love of Jesus Christ. This world needs, this world that is trying to put their definition, and, and that when, when I look at this generation and, and perverse things and all that they're, they're doing in, in opposition to God, I don't have animosity, I don't have anger, I, I don't want to kill them or snuff them out or fight them or battle them or argue them. I, my heart is moved with empathy and compassion and love. They are in search of the love of God. They're trying in their terms to define it and describe it and find it in these perverse ways, and they're missing the pure love of God. And I, I believe this. As, as, as the church of the living God, we need to be marked by love. We need more love. I, I had an encounter. We, we took a trip last week, uh, the week before last, uh, to, to Maryland, and we were a part of a, a conference and, and the man that was speaking there, and we're, he impacted me so much, I, I invited him on the spot. He's coming in September to minister here. He's a 68-year-old retired pastor. And this man exuded the love of God. He talked intently and, and for a long time with every single person that came up to him to talk. He had a love for people. He demonstrated the love of people. And he told me two stories that had changed his life. And I understood why this man was so marked by love. 
He was a pastor, and his son grew up in his church and became a worship leader. And he, he developed a drug addiction. He had a family, a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. Somehow he got in, I don't know the whole story. Somehow he, he, he got introduced to drugs, and he, he got addicted, and he hid this for several years. It began to affect his marriage. It began to affect his life. And it began to come to the surface, and it was revealed to his family and to the church that this was going on. They, they sent his son away to a, a rehab, and this is uh, years back, 10 or 15 years ago. They sent his son to a rehab, and their, their church board was meeting that evening, and they were going to determine what they needed to do with this young man. They were talking about how to handle the situation. And he'd sent off an email to this uh, counselor at the rehab, and he said, I, I would like your advice. How should we discipline this young man in this situation? The email came in, and he, he didn't get it till last minute. He was heading into the elders' meeting, so he had his, his secretary print it off for him, grabbed it, went into or to the board meeting, and went in there. And he sat in front of the board, and they said, okay, it's time to deal with this, this issue. How are we going to? I got this letter. This is from his counselor. I want to read it. So he begins to read it, and the response, I don't know the totality of it, but it started with this, I don't even know how to answer your question. My job is to see this young man Love back to health and restored. If you're talking about discipline, you guys figure that out. I don't even understand that question. And he said that he began to cry, his board began to cry, and they said, Pastor, we need to stand by your son. And we need to stand by his family. He said, that changed me, that changed my ministry. He told us another story that he was, uh, he'd, he'd built a church, he'd built a great church over in Johnson City, Tennessee. And uh, his dad was a World War II veteran. His dad was a Korean War veteran. And his dad, his dad had suffered with PTSD. Served in two, two conflicts. And he was suffering with PTSD. And so coming home from the war, on and off, he, he was in and out with alcohol. He had a walk with the Lord, but he would fall off. And this was the cycle. It happened over and over again. When he, was, when he was good, he was good. He loved the Lord, faithful to church. He helped to plant several churches. When he was good, he was good, but then he would fall off over and over and over again. He said, I had started this church in Johnson City, Tennessee. It was growing. It was healthy. And one Sunday, my dad walks in. I preach. He comes down to the altar. And he said, I went down and met my dad, and I led my dad back to the Lord. And we stood there, and we cried together, and he said, I should have done this earlier. And I said, well, dad, why didn't you? And this was his father's response. He said, because I didn't want to embarrass you. He said, are you kidding? You're, you're my dad. You're my dad. Why, why would I be, be embarrassed of you? He told, he told the story about how he, he, from the, he had everybody, every, everybody in the building was, was crying by the time he was done preaching. But he talked about how he would shave his father as his, his father got on in years and was close to death. He would take care of him, and he would shave him, and he would look at his dad and say, Dad, you look handsome. And his dad would say, now you know where you got it. <laughs> so what, what's the point? This, this pastor told these two stories. 
And he said, these two experiences broke every religious spirit off of my life. And I learned how to love people. I listened to this pastor. By the way, his name, his name is, is Richard Hilton. I listened to him preach uh, during the day sessions. He preached a message. It was just simply called The Love of God. When he was done preaching, I went up to him and I said, Brother Richard, I want you to know, I said, I know that wasn't a church, uh, a church growth message, but that's the best church growth sermon that I've ever heard in my life. Because that's it. That's the key. Can we love people? Can we love one another? Can we love people? Your, your kids are acting crazy. Can you love them? Your parents are acting crazy. Can you love them? Your coworkers are nuts. Can you love them? People are offensive. Their lifestyles are offensive. Can, can you love them? People walk in here broken and whatever's going on in their lives, can, can we love them? I remember hearing the story back when I was in Bible college about a young lady who had run off and uh, she'd become a, a prostitute, teenage girl, and she had given her life into prostitution. And her, her dad put fires all over the city with her picture on it. One day she wandered into a hotel and she saw one of the fires with her picture on it. And this is what it said under the, under the picture. It said, wherever you've gone, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, come home. See, that, that's the love of the Father right there. You, you love your, 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 your love's not predicated on their behavior, whether they're perfect or not. You love them through their, their, their mistakes because they're yours. This in true essence, this is what agape love, the truest picture of the heart of the Father for all of us, for all of us creation. Whether we're a sinner, whether we're a saint, it doesn't matter how much money you've got in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have accomplished. It, it, it doesn't, it, none of it matters. God loves all of humanity. This is the heart of God. John 3, 16. For God so. I think we skip over that word so real quick. That, that's a term of measuring of great volume. God so loved the world. Can we love like God loves? When we learn to walk truly in Philadelphia, in Storge type love, in familial and friendly relational love as believers, you know what we're actually doing? We're accessing the love of God it emanates and comes from him to us. It has been shed abroad in our hearts. And we're a vessel that that love's flowing through. That, that's who God's called us, the church, to be. To love the world. Right? It's what the Great Commission is about. Fulfilling God's desire to see humanity redeemed, the ones that he loved. I don't know who you are this morning, but you need to know this, that God loves you. Right where you're at, God loves you. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care where you slept last night or who you slept with. 
God loves you. I don't care what your criminal rap sheet reads. Some of y'all don't have one because y'all escaped the consequences that you should have had. Well, they got a record. Well, you should. God loves you. He loves every single one of us. And because of that, he extends his grace to us. And through that, we have the last part, the communion of the, of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship, the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God brings us into fellowship. We're going to go downstairs and we're going to eat a lot of good food. I, and I was down there. There's a lot of good food. Brisket, chicken, you name it. But fellowship is more than a meal in the basement after church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip somebody in cornhole after church. Or y'all might whip me. Hanging out, having a good time, eating some snacks, that's not really what fellowship is about. You want to know the definition of fellowship? Here it is, right here. No greater love has any man than this, than that he would lay his life down for his friends. That's fellowship. When you're sick, we're praying for you. When you're down and out, we got your back. When your kids did something crazy, we show up. That's fellowship. And that's not just your pastor. I know that there's expectations. Your pastor's going to visit you in the hospital, all that. And, and yes, but all of us. If we hear somebody's hurting, we got to come beside them. Right? Don't see somebody go through something and let them go through, some, through that alone. That's the real essence of what fellowship is about. Let's, let's get some definitions of, of it real quick, and then we'll go eat some food. Fellowship is this word koinonia. It's association. It's community. It's communion. It's joint participation. And let, let, me, let me just say this. This is my favorite sermon to preach. We weren't meant to do life alone as followers of Jesus. Amen. We're meant to do it in fellowship, in community. We're members one of, an, one, one of another. We're supposed to have a relationship together. We're supposed to be praying together, studying the word together, worshiping together, going out and fulfilling the great commission together, doing life together. We're supposed to be doing it in community. Every single Bible, uh, book in the Bible preaches this message that we belong together. It says that we have been accepted. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But we've been accepted in the beloved. It says that God sets the solitary into families. It says that every joint supplies the need of the next. We're connected together to help one another, to build one another. We're not meant to do this thing alone. Let's destroy this attitude that says, I love Jesus, but I don't really like his church. We've got to destroy that attitude. We can't truly love Jesus and not love and demonstrate that towards one another. If the love of Jesus has truly been shed abroad in our hearts, then we will display that towards others. If, if we're exhibiting insecurity, isolation, etc., 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 you name the, the personality quirks. If they're on display, it's evidence that somewhere the love of God hadn't penetrated our heart. 
Because the love of God has a transforming effect that will cause us to rise and change and be transformed. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, there it is right there, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The riches of heaven extended towards us. We've been made accepted in the beloved. We have a place in the family of God. We're, we have koinonia. We have fellowship. We have community together because of the blood. Right? Isn't that what it said? The forgiveness of our sins because of grace we're accepted in the family of God. This is fellowship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and I'm going to wrap up with this. But God, who is rich in mercy. That, that word rich is a man embellished with goods. Have you ever been around somebody who is really, really rich and you could just tell it? I got a family member that he drove the Mercedes, wore the suit, and it wasn't like the suit I'd buy that's $300. It was like the $5,000 and the $300 necktie. And they pull out of their pocket, they, they, just, they keep folding. That, that, that's the, the, the picture here for rich. Embellished with good. I mean, I mean it just, it's spilling out on them. God is rich in mercy. His mercy is just spilling out everywhere. God drips with mercy. Anybody know somebody with some drip? God drips with mercy. He's embellished with goods. That's, that's, what, that's the picture here. God who is rich in mercy, it drips off of him. Because of his great love, great love, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And that word together, in my notes, it's bold. That's fellowship. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, he reminds us, you have been saved and raised us up together. There it is again. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of God's love, through grace, we have fellowship. We're the family of God. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask my wife to come to the platform. We're going to end a little bit differently today than we normally would. Amen. We're going we're gonna to pray the love of God over you. We're going to pray. If you're a, a, a return church family member or if you're a guest, we want to pray the love of God. We want you to be loved, and we want you to receive the love of God and perpetuate it and demonstrate it. We're going to pray over you. I'm going to ask my wife. This is my lovely wife, Rachel, for those of you who may not know. By the way, I'm Chad. Maybe you don't know. Welcome. Rachel's going to pray, pray over you, and then I'm going to pray. Father, come before you today. We thank you that you are the love that never changes. The word says there is no shadow of turning. Right. You don't flip-flop. You don't love me one day and forget me the next. Your word says that I was on your mind as you hung on a cross. 
as you gave yourself, as you abandoned yourself, Father. You did it for me and you did it for every person in this room today. You did it for a dying world, God. And you do not relent. When I have problems with anger and forgiveness, when I feel like I don't fit in, I've come to realize that it's not a problem directly in front of me here on earth. It's more to do with my relationship with you. But as I come and I hide myself in love, it's revealed to me who I really am. And I'm safe. I'm secure, I have life, I have purpose. Lord, I pray that every person that can hear my voice today, God, would come to that place of revelation of knowing true love. Because in the presence of love, all fear is gone. All unbelief dissipates and all the work of the enemy is denounced because you are God and there is none beside you it's only by grace can we enter it's only by grace can we stand not by human endeavor but by the blood of the lamb and God if you marked our transgressions who could stand but by your grace we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So, Father, I pray that you would baptize us in love today. That you would baptize us in love. That the world, people in the world would walk past us. Just even walking past us. That our countenance, like Stephen did in the courtroom. When he stood in the courtroom, the people in the courtroom said, You are a man who has walked with Jesus. So, God, I pray that our countenances would change because of the presence of life, that we would reach a dying world. Father, I pray by your spirit that you'll fall afresh on this congregation, that the spirit of love would come and rest upon each and every soul, that would satisfy, that, Lord, you would prepare a table in the presence of the enemy, that you would prepare a table in the presence of fear, in the presence of doubt, in the presence of unbelief, in this presence of abandonment. I declare the voice of the good shepherd we know and the voice of the stranger we will not listen to. Because the commander-in-chief goes before us, overcoming all the work of the enemy. We thank you for the power of love. We thank you for the power of love that will not fail us. I love what my husband said. I don't care where... You you're at. I don't care what you've become. I don't care who you're with. It's time for you to come home. It's time for the church. Come home. Come home. Come home. If you're unsaved, come home. Because the open arms of everlasting love is waiting for you at the foot of the cross. It's time for you to come home. 
come home because you are not promised an hour of leaving here. You were not promised Monday morning. You were not promised this afternoon. You were not promised to lay your head on a pillow tonight. You were not promised that. So now is the time to come home. Now is the time to embrace love. Now is the time. Do not put it off anymore. It is time for you to come home and experience all that Jesus Christ has done for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Father, I thank you for my church family. Thank you for the amazing people that are gathered in this room. Lord, I ask that you would help us to grow in the grace of Jesus. Help us to grow in the love of God. And help us to grow in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for every visitor that's with us today. Lord, I, I pray that above all that they would encounter you and your goodness. I pray that they leave here knowing without a doubt that you love them and your heart towards them is good. Bless us all together, Lord God. Help us to grow. May we more and more look like Jesus. May your character be daily more evident in us, Lord God. May we grow in the gifts and the fruit of your spirit. I thank you for it. Lord, bless our time of fellowship together today after this service. Lord, I pray that our bonds will grow stronger, our, our relationships deeper, Lord. Thank you for everybody who's taken time to prepare and to serve us with food and preparation of this event. Bless them. We thank you for the food and let it be nourishment and strength to our bodies today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.